Good evening. You are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm your host, Ashling O'Rourke, and I hope you are safe and well as you tune into the show this week, whether you're tuned in on Spotify, Google or Apple Podcasts or, of course, here on E old FM. On tonight's show, I hope you um we have a cracking lineup for you. So I hope you stay tuned and enjoy this particular episode. But I know I've mentioned it several times over the past year and a bit that we've been on air, but I do really want to feature more and more young people on the show because at the end of the day, it's the young people whose voices really need to be listened to. So our first guest tonight is a young woman by the name of Saoirse Exton who is advocating for young people's voices to be heard in the fight against the climate crisis. And Sirsha has been selected out of all the young people across the world who are passionate about the climate crisis to be one of seven international young people selected to be on the UN Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change. Well, that's a bit of a mouthful of a title, but you get the gist. And we're joined now by Saoirse. Saoirse, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you so much for having me. So now, Saoirse, first things first, what on earth is the UN Secretary General's Youth Advisory Group on Climate Change? <laughs> um, so very basically, it, it's a group of seven young people um, we're all, from all around the world um, and from the, the different regions that the UN recognises. So, for example, well, I'm the representative for Western Europe, um, but there's other people from Eastern Europe, Asia, you know, so there, it's we're all around from all over the world. Um, and essentially, we are all climate activists, so we all have an interest ourselves, but we also have um, networks that we can use to kind of bring young people's interests directly to the Secretary General um, and to bring his attention to issues that he may not have been aware of um, and also advocate for things that may, may, you know might not be a part of conversation right now within UN climate policy. And so I think, you know, it's not just an advisory role, it's also... Even, you know, even though the name does say that, um, it's also about, you know, like um, advocating for the things that we also want to achieve as a group and, and as climate activists. And so it's it's quite it's quite loose and that's good and bad. So, yeah. So, Saoirse, you are 17. You are in your the unfortunate, as we were speaking a little bit earlier about the, the leaving cert year, the one that uh, puts the hair on the back of all of our necks. And we even mentioned the LC. But um how did this all come about? Like, how did you become interested in, like, I'm not even interested. When did you, like, how did you get to the point where you hear about climate change, you hear about the effect on the climate, and that's one thing, and, and being concerned about it is one thing, and that's, you know, fair. But where did you think, do you know what, actually, I might have something to say about this. I might want to get involved. So for me, I think um, it was actually going back to 2018 during the um the referendum for choice i kind of for the first time was involved well not i wasn't really involved but i was sort of aware of politics as something that wasn't just kind of out there for the first time i was 11 at the time and uh, um apparently when we were coming home from the count or watching um screening of the count um i turned to my mother and went this is my feminist awakening um and so i think for me you know it was really an introduction to to politics and but i i sort of remember thinking you know that's something i will get involved in in the future like when i'm an adult 
I will, you know, uh, join these kind of campaigns. So I think at the end of 2018, there were really big protests in um, Australia. Um, and my mom is Australian, so she was kind of aware of that. Um, so she showed me videos and, and I sort of realized for the first time that young people actually can do this. It, it's not just because we don't have a vote and, you know, we're not we're not adults. We do still have a voice. We have opinions and we have a right to express those opinions. So for me, you know, like I saw that and I was kind of like, OK, this is something that I can actually do. And then as I became more involved with you know, climate striking. Um, and I, I started doing that in my local city and I started the movement in Limerick. Uh, as I started doing that more, I kind of realized more and more and more like that just how urgent the the crisis is um, and just how much of a, a kind of multifaceted issue, but also an issue that ties into every other aspect of, you know, social justice and economic justice and the political systems in general. And so from there, you know, I... Um, I kind of, I, I got involved after, I, I founded Fridays for Future, which is the, um, Fridays for Future Limerick, not the, the global one, uh, which is the the climate striking group. But from there, I was involved with the Irish Second Level Student Union um, as a quality officer for two years. And that kind of introduced me to the legislative stuff. Um, and then I was also selected um, for the C40 Global Youth and Mayors Forum, which is this intergenerational panel of mayors and young people. And that was kind of like the international space. So it was like steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of, and then with this, I was nominated by the Global Youth and Mayors Forum for this okay. um, youth advisory group, but I did not think I was going to get it. So I'm sort of still in shock a little bit. It is like to listen to you talk about it in such an eloquent way. For, you know, you're only 17, you know, it's it's fantastic to see a young person like yourself be so informed about the issue and to be informed and active. You know, it's it's not necessarily a common thing. So, like, if you're listening to people younger to than you now, like young teenagers, maybe like heading towards first year and secondary school, There is a concern, I think, that as a result of lockdown, that young people have become more isolated and perhaps introverted and and even hopeless, you know, about their impact. What would you say to encourage those younger than you to to get involved, to have their voices heard? I think um, it is certainly difficult to kind of know what to do when you are a young person. Um, but I think, you know, being aware is one thing, being educated, um, I think is really valuable and it does take a lot of work, especially if you are new to it to kind of curate what actually is good stuff. Um, but I think, you know, you know, reading a lot of books about climate change is really helpful. Uh, but I, I also think, you know, there are unfortunately as a young person the kind of biggest sphere of well is it fortunate or unfortunate i don't know but the biggest sphere of influence we do have is you know within our localities and and within our own lives and i think even like a small action is still really powerful it doesn't matter if it doesn't you know change the world um because um, you know we have to work at a you know, at a local level, I think the, 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 you know, the saying everyone always uses is like act local, think global. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, I think that's a really good mantra to kind of tap into, you know, like, what can you do within your school? 
what can you do within your community um even within your family you know um I do think it is dangerous often when we have these conversations to put too much of the influence on the individual. I think protest is really powerful and valuable and young people, like as someone who obviously came up through protesting, I think that's why most of the change that has happened around climate change has happened because of the protests. Um, So I I, I think it is like you have to recognize, we have to recognize that like it is, you know, collective action is most the most powerful, but also individual action is extremely powerful as well. So I think it's a combination of things. Um, and I think also holding our politicians to account. Yes, I can't vote, but still my politicians represent me. And I think even as a young person, actually almost especially as a young person, um, to kind of use use our voices to sort of say this is not okay we are not happy with this and if you don't do something about it now in two years or four years or eight years we will vote you out um and or your party anyway (laughs) so i think i think you know it is difficult and and i I think it depends on on where young people are based but Mm -hmm. there are definitely things that 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 we can do um yeah it's you know, and I think that's a fair point about, you know, the, 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 the placing the responsibility on the individual, uh, uh, that it is more about us as individuals holding those in power to account. And that's why I'm so passionate about the the role of the media in upholding those um, in authority. And in order for democracy to take place, we need an active and independent media. But the educator in me has a fear, I have to admit. So I'm, for people who don't know, I am the course coordinator for a diploma in content creation and photography in Ballyfermot College. And I have been blessed by really supportive educational, mainly women, I have to say, mentors in my life. And that's what's inspired me to go on to, to lecture in media and all of that. And I'm saying all of that because if students came to me in the college and said, we want to start a Fridays for the Future movement, there would be 50% of me that would go fantastic, absolutely brilliant, delighted to see you and get involved in politics. Then there's the other part of me that says, yes, but you want to get your qualifications. You want to be able to go out and do your job in the workplace. You need to be in class on a Friday so that you can know what we're teaching you. And I have to admit, I'm genuinely on the fence about it and about this idea of striking during class time. Um, and I know myself, if I was in secondary school right now and there was someone doing it, I'd be, I'd want to do it. I'd want my voice to be heard. But but do you get where I'm coming from as an educational professional? No, absolutely. I think that's something I, I've had to grapple with, with sixth year, you know, like I just, because it is my final year, I've had to kind of say that isn't an option for me. Um, and I completely understand. I think the the issue is, you know, um, the way that I, I see education, uh, it, it's not just as a means to a job. It is also, education is also something to develop your own understanding of the world around you. Um, and, it, and it's to develop your own way of thinking. Um, and I think ultimately by being in, if, by being involved directly in politics, by being involved directly in, in movements and, and, um, campaigns for change. I think that is one of the most valuable life experiences you can have. So I think in that regard, it is very, very valuable. And for me, it has taught me so much um, about, you know, 
about people power, about the systems we live in. Obviously, I would like to study politics, so it's very specific to what I want to do. Um, but I think it's also the thing about the climate crisis and the thing about politics is that it's interconnected with with everything. You know, it's it's inter it's interconnected with media, as you mentioned before. You know, obviously, that's a very important part of politics. Um, so I think, yeah, I mean, like I said, it is something that I've had to say, you know, this year I do have to focus on my exams. I don't want to, but I have to. Um, but I do think there's also there is a lot of value. Um in in engaging uh and i think ultimately you know if we want to create learning environments that that are not just economical that aren't just about pumping out mindless workers we need to foster the sense of of critical thinking we need to foster a sense of sort of um of being aware that that you know we exist as a collective rather than than individuals because i think you know for me i'm someone who's very interested in the economic side of of the climate crisis and so i'm you know very interested in like what does growth mean is is green growth possible and and um why do we focus so much on like profit um and on increasing gdp and so all of this stuff ties into it um especially with education because it's sort of like especially public education has kind of always been about making workers. Um, so I think it is, it is a, you know, it is a kind of hard balance to strike. And I do think, you know, for me, I, I'm lucky enough that, that uh, I'm someone who, who, you know, is very motivated about, about my, my studies. And I know many people, for many people, it's a lot harder for them. Um, and so, you know, for me, when I did miss school, um, in second year was mostly was when I started. And then obviously the pandemic hit, so that kind of mm -hmm. stopped things anyway. Um, but, uh, you know, like when I did miss it, I was able to do the work myself. But I understand that for some people that's more difficult. Um, but I think I also think that, you know, striking isn't the only thing. There are also protests on all the time there are you know once you're 18 you can vote and that is the most powerful thing you can do um there are you know there are campaigns and events and protests that are not on during school time so you know al although it is one it's it's one of, of many things that you can do um and i think that's what i'm kind of figuring out right now with i'm not striking at the moment because i can't but i'm also still actively involved in you know the climate action movement so you know, I don't think it's the be all and the end all. And I also, I think often when people talk about the issues with missing school, they kind of almost say, it's almost as if it's like absolving, it's like, well, if they miss school, then they just can't care about it at all. And I think that's wrong as well. You know, like you, you have to strike that balance. So talk to me then about this advisory group. Do you know how it will work you know will you have to travel will you be will you get the ear of politicians what do you know about it so far so i don't i know some things but i don't know everything i think it kind of with the traveling it's sort of there's some things i know i probably most likely will be going to like uh, for example cop 28 uh, 29 sorry in wait cop 28 yeah sorry my brain um in dubai which is yeah questionable that it's in dubai but it's um the uh, basically biggest international um, climate conference every year and they discuss um, policies around every aspect of the, of climate change that you could possibly think of. It's it's very big and it's very important and it's very stressful. Um, so I probably 
most likely will be traveling to that, but I don't know yet. And then there's also events, um, there's uh, events like the one happening in September, which is the Secretary General's Climate Action Summit. And it's probable that I will be there, but I'm not sure. So again, I'm not sure how much traveling I will be doing. Obviously right now, like um, there's also the intercessionals, which are really important um, uh, kind of policy discussions, specifically in Bonn. They happen in Bonn, Germany every year, but they're also all through the middle of my leaving cert. So I can't go to that. Um, so it is, it is definitely just kind of, going with the flow and seeing what happens when it happens. But I feel like that's just being involved in these spaces in general. You never know what's actually going to happen ahead of time. I'm sure as well, it's a great opportunity to meet with the other six people, you know, on this panel. And, you know, as you mentioned, they're from such completely different parts of the, parts of the world to yourself and learn from them as well. Yeah, I mean, it's been a brilliant experience to talk to them and to find where we where we have kind of common ground, especially because you know I think all of us are really interested in bringing something new to the 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 group and and really improving our you know consultation and improving our networking and ensuring that that you know we we recognize that we're not necessarily representatives that we are individuals and that's the capacity that we're in but we also really understand that we have this power that a lot of other people don't and so I think. For me, like I really would like to to keep engaging with the Irish Second Level Students Union and the Sustainability Officer in there because, you know, that's where I, I came from. But also, I I just think having that grassroots consultation is really important. Um, and yeah, I just I think at the moment, you know, we 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 have so many things we want to do as a group because mm-hmm. obviously there's so many things you can do. But I think we're, we we just want to focus and ensure that that you know what we're what we want to do is achievable and and it isn't because I think there's a danger of sort of going, oh, well, we want more attention on restructuring economic systems. And that's so broad. So we need to like come up with specific achievable things. Like can we can we get the Secretary General to endorse this resolution or something? Um so that's good and bad again. Uh but yeah. Well, I suspect that you have a very exciting year ahead of you, Sirisha. And I want to thank you for being so generous with your time here on uh, this week's episode of Let's Go Green. The very best of luck to you in the, co- in the, the coming weeks for the Leaving Cert. Um, and fair play to you, I suppose. There's, there's no choice now but to just stick the head down and get through it. But, you know, you're, it, it's nearly there and over and it will be in the blink of an eye. So so best of luck to you. And um, maybe perhaps you might hear from me again on the show. And I hope you become a friend of us here on Let's Go Green on Midlands 103. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for having me. We will be back after the break. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, what did you think of Saoirse Exton, one of seven young people from across the globe selected by the UN to work for the Secretary General in raising awareness around climate action, but in raising young people's concerns and young people's ideas as to how we should and could be mitigating against the climate crisis. 
I think it will prove to be a very interesting project for Saoirse and I look forward to hearing from her again. I'm sure we will be in touch. I will invite her back to give us an update on what that committee is doing and and how she has been finding the experience. And it is fantastic to see an Irish young person being selected by the UN to speak about climate change, to give young people a voice. Being one of seven from around the world, is um, well it's pretty cool like let's be honest about it That's that's it's a, a pretty big thing to be putting on the CV at 17 years old and again I want to wish Saoirse the very best of luck with the Leaving Cert as I said to her off air you couldn't pay me to go back and do those exams I still have nightmares about it to be perfectly honest anytime I hear the mention of it so I won't talk about it any further but we wish her the best of luck and I will get her back on the show in a couple of months time to see how things are going. Well, you may recall a little while ago here on Let's Go Green, we spoke to Nora Gannon about a project in Port Arlington. So in Port Arlington, they have been working away in creating a new green hub. It's a new, it's a pilot project, but it is hoped that it will continue. And they've done several events over the past couple of weeks and... They have been working on new sculptures for the area, gargoyles. So basically sculptures made out of rubbish, out of waste produced by companies in the area. Well, that exhibition at Solace in Port Tarrington opened on Friday night and that is now open to the public. So if you missed the launch Friday night, it's not too late to go and see what they have been working on. I unfortunately wasn't able to make it myself, even though I did genuinely want to go. Um, So I will make an effort to get over to see the exhibition myself. But there are many, many international people. There's local people involved. And it seems to be a really exciting project altogether. There were, um, some of the artists include ADW, who studied in the animation department of my day job, Ballyfermot College. Uh, Betta Franca, born in Brazil with an Irish heart. Brazilia's li- Betta has lived in Port Arlington since 2001 and Betta was involved in creating a gargoyle sculpture. The Brat Breed Group, remember we spoke to them back in February. Well, they have been working on their Brat Breeds and they have um, are taking part in this exhibition. Also involved, Crafty James Studio, Darren Warren, Geraldine Smith, Kellyanne Highland, Mary Slevin and more. So if you were interested in this Green Hub initiative in Port Harlington, well, that exhibition of all the work that they have been doing over the past number of months since the start of this year, that exhibition is now open and I would highly recommend that you head over to Solace in Port Arlington to check it out. I think it is a very exciting project altogether. Now, something else that happened on Friday that you may or may not have heard about. Well, it was World Curlew Day. may not have realised that Curlew Day is an international thing. I think sometimes we have a tendency to think here in Ireland that the Curlew is unique to here, but unfortunately not. But it is 
uniquely under pressure. And World Curlew Day, that's always takes place on April 21st. It's a grassroots initiative which champions the curlew worldwide. It started in 2017 and the aim of the day is to shine a light on the dangers curlew face as a result of shifting factors both globally and locally. Many of these issues, as we know, because we have discussed it here in the programme before, are linked to us. They're linked to human activity. Their nesting areas, their feeding areas have become smaller and smaller and smaller because of how we are living like many other things and the curlew are under significant threat, particularly here in Ireland. So I thought tonight I'd play you some of the curlew song. Now for some of you this will be a very uh, nostalgic sound. For some of you you will have grown up with it. For some you may never have heard it before. It's not the first time I've played it here in the song on the programme. Um, but I think it's important to to mark the day and the day that's in it. So Friday marked World Curlew and this is the song that we used to hear here in the Midlands on a very, very regular basis, but not so much anymore. Well, was that bird song new for you? Have you heard the curlew song before? I have to admit, I've heard it before, but I've heard it in recordings. I don't think I've ever heard the curlew song out in the wild here in the Midlands, which is something that I think is rather sad. I know it would be a sound that many people in generations older than I and even not too much older than I would have heard heard it out in the wild and it's something that the Curlew Conservation Programme is working to become do what they can to protect the curlew to encourage more curlew nesting in safe areas where curlew can breed can reproduce in the hopes of reintroducing 
the curlew to um, the Midlands in particular, I know, but to Ireland in general. There are curlew action teams right around the region. There's a team at Stack Mountain, Lochry, North Roscommon, East Mayo, Mid Leitrim, North East Roscommon, North Monaghan, Donegal, North Loch Corrib, Schlieve Ahi, and indeed at the Schlieve Blooms in the Midlands here and indeed in Kildare. And the hope is that they can work with nest protection officers and local land owners and other people interested in creating an improved habitat quality for curlew right across the country. And you can find out more about that if you simply Google it's it's on the NPWS website. OK, so that's NPWS website. But it is worth looking up. And the that's the National Parks and Wildlife Service. But it might just be easier to Google Curlew Conservation Programme Ireland. And there you can find out all about the work that is underway and perhaps get involved yourself. Well, coming up after the break, another thing very important to Irish culture are ash trees and ash dieback has been a problem for many, many years here now. You will have seen in recent years, quite sadly, in my opinion, more and more hurleys are being made from plastic, which is just another conversation altogether. But, you know, hurleys used to be made from Irish ash um, up until very recently. But now as a result of ash dieback, that is a thing of the past. So I'm going to be joined by... Forestry Advisor with Chagask here in the Midlands, Liam Kelly, to talk about ash dieback and some light at the end of this particular tunnel. We'll be back in a few moments. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I hope you have been enjoying this week's episode so far. Well, I was doing a little bit of research recently um, for the show, thinking about, you know, what else we could be talking about, what else we should be talking about. And I know as a result of the conversation around climate change, more of us have become more conscious of planting trees and trying to do our bit. But we've not spoken yet about a particular problem in the environment here in Ireland, and that is ash dieback. So ash is a very well-known species of tree right around Ireland. Um, If you're a fan of hurling, it would traditionally have been what our hurls were made from. That's not always the case now um, nowadays, of course, but it is something that has been part and parse, uh, part and part of Irish life and the in- Irish environment for donkey's years at this stage. But ash dieback has been around now for well over a decade. It was imported, we believe, at least as I understand it, from China originally. And it is something that is slowly but surely killing off ash trees here in Ireland. So to talk more about this issue, we're joined now by an advisor with Chagask, Liam Kelly. Liam, you are very welcome to Let's Go Green. Thank you, Aisling. Yes, Um, I'm a forestry advisor based here in the Midlands. Now, Liam, explain to me first, in plain English, if you don't mind, 
What exactly is ash dieback? Well, ash dieback is a fungal infection. It's caused by the um, um, pathogen uh, Hymenocyphus fraxinus or Shilara um, fraxinus. It affects ash trees and it's spread by spores. The spores are in the wind. They, they land on the leaf. Uh, if there's an abundance amount, they'll um, um, colonize the leaf and spread through the leaf down into the into the twigs. And if it's a severe infection, it'll actually spread into the main stem of the tree. Um, so when it does land on the leaves, the leaves turn black initially and um, the, the leaf itself will die. Um, if it's a small um, infestation or infection, it may stop at the leaf and a part of the tree may die or just the leaf element of it. If it's a severe infection, then either part of the crown of the tree may, may die or even most of the crown of the tree may die over time. Uh, it, the spores are spread during the uh, summer months. Um, they're spread by wind and they can spread for many, many kilometers. And and that's why the difficulty of controlling the disease, the, the, the pathogen is spread by, by spores. I was looking at the Chagas uh, website, Liam, and um, for anybody interested in, in learning, um, well, quite a lot of things, the Chagas website is very helpful. I like it because everything is explained in, in plain English. Um, but one of the lines that caught my eye was the disease can affect ash trees of any age in any setting. It can be fatal. An ash dieback is more severe in wet sites. So we're thinking maybe boggy, marshy kind of areas, right? But it is now prevalent throughout most of the island of Ireland and is likely to cause the death of the majority of ash trees over the next two decades. That's quite stark, Liam. Like, is it that fatal? that we're going to get rid of ash ash trees entirely? Yes. Well, the, the younger trees succumb to the disease much quicker. Older trees will, will get it, but they, they can survive with it for a longer period of time. Um, now, as more and more trees get it, more and more spores are being developed as well because the, the when the leaf dies off during the winter months, the, uh, in the following season the, on the leaf stalk, this um, pathogen develops on it and they throw up the spores. So the more infected uh, leaf litter that falls on the, gr- on the ground, the more spores we will have the following year. So the spore uh, in Auckland is growing all the time. So that's what's okay. encouraging the disease to spread much quicker. So originally, as I understand it, this disease came to Europe from China and then came from went from mainland, mainland Europe to Ireland. Um, is there anything the public should be aware of? Like, as I mentioned at the start of our chat, many people have taken to planting trees. And I know many of us would see ash as nearly a native tree at this point because it's been present on the island for so long that they might think they're doing something positive by planting ash trees. Um, but if we're bringing in the problem, is that the right thing to be doing? Well, um, the disease was first detected in Ireland in 2012. And since that, we haven't planted any ash trees. 
Okay. okay. Uh, and the, the nurseries now wouldn't be holding any ash trees either, so that that can be planted up. So um, so we're not planting ash trees an, anymore until hopefully in time we will may be able to find um, uh, trees that are tolerant to the disease. But at the moment we're not there yet. We, there is a small percentage of trees we see that uh, are showing certain tolerance levels. So from that, some of our, our researchers in Chagas are putting together a, a gene bank and trying to develop. Uh, some trees that may be in time that may be tolerant to the disease. And in time, we hope we will be able to propagate those and, and maybe get a planting program again going forward. But we're not there yet. That is fascinating. And I think we kind of forget that when we talk about genetics and like I was having a conversation the other day with a doctor and he was telling me that there is research underway at the moment to do screening of children to see how they identify children at high risk of developing type 1 diabetes in order to be able to give them medication to prevent them becoming sick in the first place. And I find the whole area fascinating. I don't think we talk about uh, or have a general understanding um, in the public setting that gene research goes beyond humans. So there, there is some hope, I'm taking it from what you're saying, that researchers might be able to build up a stock of ash that would be essentially immune from ash dieback. Yes, and and that research is going on throughout Europe, um, and uh, there's a, a small team here in in Chagas that are involved in in uh, tree improvement, um, and they are looking at um, um, trying to build up um, a gene bank of trees that are tolerant to the disease, and uh, from those we hope we will be able to propagate those going forward, um, and hopefully that they will show. Um, and, and again, it's, it takes time because some years, maybe for some reason, the, the spores may not have affected a certain tree, you know. So it, it's not, uh, you can't just base it on one or two years. You have to build that research over, over many years to be ensure that the, the trees are tolerant going forward. A little bit like for some people who suffer from hay fever, some years are worse than others. So this research Indeed. has to take place over a long period of time before the researchers can be happy that what they've discovered is true and what they've discovered is safe and, and is sustainable. Um, Salim, I suppose it's not, there is, a, there is a chink of light at the end of the tunnel. For people who, now I know officially through nurseries, we're not getting ash into the country. Is there any, because um, I'm well aware of people who buy plants online and they might go to the likes of, I don't know, I'm not going to name any companies, but the big websites and buy all sorts of random things and plant them and might not be entirely sure as to where they come from. So if you have ash trees on in your garden, on your land, or even in a public setting, what do we need to be keeping an eye out for? Well, I suppose, uh, like, okay, the, first of all, you see the, the leaves, number one, during the summer, they may turn black. Um, as it goes, if it dies back into the stems, the, the twigs will turn either orange or defoliate completely. Um, they will turn orange. And then, you know, and you will notice if the trees are themselves are starting to show um, um you know, they the, the don't look well, they don't have a lot of foliage on them. You, you probably you probably are aware that then that, that there may be something not going on right with with the tree. And um, so at that stage, you may um, maybe have to look at the tree. Um, you know, maybe if, if it's a large tree, you may have, um, 
you, and you consider it dangerous, you may have to consider maybe taking taking those trees down. Um, but you can't you can't take down any trees unless you have a felon license. So it's important to have a felon license in place. Or um, there has been a guide put together by the department and the tree council. It's a guide for landowners to uh, for managing roadside trees. Um, so that's a, an important document that maybe people should have a look at. And there's a number of steps on that that people can go through to see, you know, is is my tree okay? Is it okay to leave it there? Or do I um, manage it going forward? So there's a number of steps that people can take. And so it's a good document that, to, to have a look at. So it's a guide for landowners to manage roadside trees. And Liam, uh, you've said it there yourself, but just to reiterate, if you think there's a tree that's in danger of collapse or falling over, you really do need to get a licensed tree surgeon or someone with an actual felling license. Um, well, to the, do the, the felling fel- fel- license will be based on the on the areas that are the, the particular trees. Um, but if anyone, no one should be taking down a tree unless they're skilled or um, have appropriate training in, in use of chainsaws. Um so it's important to get maybe a, um, a forester or an agriculturist to come look at your trees and to see, you know, whether they're they're safe or not. Um, that's one thing I would say going forward. Um, in a forestry situation, um, you know, they um, which I'd be more involved with. Um, People are consider maybe looking at the crop. Um, maybe if they have a felon license, they may some thin out some of the, the more inferior trees. Um, at one stage, then there was a scheme in place called the Roof Scheme, and some would have removed the crop and replaced it with a different crop. Um, hopefully, now going forward, there may be newer schemes in time to also to help uh, people manage their crops going forward. Is speed a factor here? Like, if you if you have a, a, like a, even even a small forest. And, and particularly at this time of year, if if you spot something, do you need to remove that tree quickly in order to um, prevent its, its, its spreading um, or at least try and lessen the, the spreading of it? Yeah, well, if, you know, if the trees can, uh, you know, if the, tr- if the crop itself is under pressure or is under certain stress, the disease may spread through it quicker. You know, if the crop has been managed and the trees are generally healthy and it's in a good location, um, you know, the, the, the crop itself may be able to survive through the disease uh, for maybe a longer period of time. But if the crop is unmanaged or um, it's in a poor site, um, the disease, uh, and if the disease pressure is high in the area, the the disease can spread through that crop quite quickly. Um, you do have to, to, to do anything with it. You do have to have a fell nice, as I say. You know, if the, the trees are large, you, you can't fell any trees without without appropriate fell license. So it's important to, to apply to the Forest Service for, for a fell license, perhaps. Also, um, as I say, um, in, in there was a scheme in the past called the Roof Scheme, um, Reconstitution and Underplan Scheme. That that uh, ended there when the previous program ended there in at the end of um 2022. Um, so we're waiting for a new program to come into play, um, which hasn't yet been approved by the, the EU. But once that comes into play, there may be maybe a newer scheme that may may help deal with the disease. Well, Liam, if people have questions, can they contact yourself and your colleagues in Chagask? Yes, we're we're available at all stages for any any aspect of forestry. Um, the, you can get us on the, the website www.chagas.ie or contact us through any of the local forest or Chagas offices. Liam Kelly, Chagas Forestry Advisor for the Midlands. Thank you so much for joining us here on Let's Go Green for a bit of an education piece on Ash Dieback and the state of play here in Ireland. We will be back after the break. 
You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I'm terribly sorry to say that that is, in fact, all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Don't forget, if you can't tune in to us on FM or at 7pm on Mondays on midlands103.com, hop over to Spotify, Google or indeed Apple Podcasts and search Let's Go Green with Ashling O'Rourke and you can tune in to us at your leisure on your preferred podcast platform. And don't forget, I love to hear from you on the show. So if there is a topic you would like me to discuss, hop over there to midlands103.com, click on the on-air team and send me a direct message or indeed message me directly on Ashling O'Rourke CC on LinkedIn. I won't be here next week because, would you believe it, it's May Bank Holiday Weekend. So enjoy the Bank Holiday Weekend and I will be back in a fortnight's time. Till next time here on Let's Go Green on Midlands 103. Have a great week and stay safe.